These are discussions surrounding the property and casualty insurance marketplace and specifically the challenges and hurdles that insurers, insureds, brokers, and agents are facing and what we need to do to stay ahead. Let's get into it. Hey folks, and welcome back to the Risk Channels Podcast. I'm Mark Zettel, and I'm your host. Um, This week's episode, we're going to be discussing a little bit about cyber liability and some of the impacts it's having and how it's developing. Um, That said, I think a good place to start is the definition or a generalistic definition of what cyber is, and that being coverage for financial loss that results from a data breach or other cyber event. Um, I think it's important just to note that obviously each policy's terms, conditions, and definitions would dictate a covered cause of loss and the definition in particular, so it's a good place to start as a generalistic definition. Um, so cyber policies consist of a few different elements, um, one of those being first party and then the other being third party. Um, some first party coverage modules would consist of loss or damage to electronic data, loss of income or extra expense, cyber extortion, you know, damage to the insured's reputation, and notification costs. Again, all of these are results of a cyber-related covered peril. Um, notification costs, obviously, I deem as very important because those costs can be extremely um, exorbitant if an insured is faced with a loss. Um, coupled with the fact that state regulation, again, state to state, requires that in many cases they be notified of the loss or the breach um, to ensure that the consumer or customer that's information has been breached is being handled appropriately and being taken care of. Um, The other element or coverage models would be third-party models, um, such as network security liability, network privacy liability, ENO liability, and then electronic media liability, which would consist of things like patent infringement, um, several other, I'll call it, elements within that coverage module. So I guess the big question is, why is it important for companies to purchase cyber liability? And obviously in today's business landscape, Technology is being utilized very heavily um, from a standpoint of online services. Uh, It could be e-commerce or even cloud-based computing. You know, people are storing data in the cloud instead of buying their own servers and housing them in-house. They're storing their data on a cloud-based service to free up that space um, as well as minimizing their operating expenses because now they don't have to maintain that database or those servers um, and buy that hardware. Um, Also, um, transmitting of data through email. Um, A lot of the personal personal and identifiable information, again, being stored in the cloud is being transmitted via email. Um, So I think with those exposures, it's it's in mind, it's important to maybe identify some of the carriers in particular that are participating in offering cyber liability coverage. So, um, Matt, why don't you hit on some of those carriers and uh, we can pick it up from there. Yeah, I'd be happy to do so. So, um, I think a good way to start that conversation is to discuss 
the top 10 carriers writing this line of business. With that said, number one, the head of this list is AIG. Number two is XL. Number three is Chubb. Four, Travelers. Five, Beasley. Six, CNA. Seven, Liberty. Eight is BCS. Nine is Axis. And number 10 in the top 10 is Allied World. To okay. take, uh, I also would like to point out, in terms of the demand for this line of business to be written, there are two notable jumpers in the top 150 carriers in terms of how they've been able to identify the need for this product. And that's Star International Companies, who in 2015... Uh, was the number 110 writer of this product, and in 2016 they jumped to number 18 in the top 25. Markel was another. 2015 they were the number 116 writer of this product, and they jumped to number 16 in 2006. By the way, this uh, list of the top 10 writers is representative of 2016 data. Step two to this is to talk about the overall market size space of this product offering. Um, and w with that said, in 2016, there was $1.35 billion of direct premiums written for the cyber line of business. This was a 35% year-over-year growth in terms of direct premiums written from 2015, and I believe, again, a 30-some-odd percent increase over 2014. So we can see this line of business the demand, the need for it, and the writing of carriers is growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, a dictate from the demand in the marketplace and how businesses are operating today. Um, the issues with the carrier in terms of how they're offering this line of business and the, the demand for this product, it's also off, it's altering the way in which they're offering and underwriting this line of business. And that has to do with um, the aggregation uh, component and what I mean by the aggregation component is where cyber starts and stops as a coverage um, and m meaning uh, how it, uh, it, it it may potentially expose itself in other lines of business such as the GL where there's no um, uh, cyber exclusion cyber exclusion I per se as it applies to the GL policy yeah I got you. So, like, it, it, well, actually, believe it or not, I, I've actually seen scenarios or, or even read about them where um, coverage lines such as GL did not have a specific cyber exclusion or crime. And um, while it might have been the carrier's initial intent not to provide cyber coverage, um, because there was no specific exclusion um, when that claim was made, the carrier originally denied coverage and then. A motion was brought to overturn, I'll call it that, um, um, finding. Um, you know, the carriers actually got stuck with paying because the courts deemed that, you know, the four corners of the policy dictates and that there was no cyber exclusion. And uh, therefore, again, getting back to your point about the aggregation amongst coverage lines, um, what carriers are now doing to get around that, though, is they are in particular um, – making sure that they add on a cyber exclusion mm -hmm. to the applicable coverage lines so there is no aggregation or contribution from you know policies where the intent may not have originally been to provide coverage exactly um, and another element or a talking point to that is they will offer those policies one of two ways they'll offer the cyber coverage as part of a multi-parallel bundled coverage offering 
or they'll offer cyber on a standalone basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction that most of them are going is offering it on a standalone basis. Again, another statistic, in 2016, 67% of these policies were written on a standalone basis. Right. So they're deviating away from the uh, multi-peril offering where they're embedding cyber into other types of coverage offerings to safeguard, again, against the aggregation effect. Gotcha. Um so I, I think maybe now that we have a grasp on obviously not everybody that's writing it, but who's writing it and how it's growing exponentially and how we can obviously see it as being um, something that I'll call it as a necessity given the business landscape of today. Um, you know, how are companies writing it, Matt? Like what are you seeing or, or, or what is your feeling on you – know, it's, it's in its infancy stages. So – Obviously, they can't do the same type of modeling that they um, are doing on property. That they have hundreds and hundreds of years of data. Um, so, so what are what are you seeing that they're utilizing to kind of develop their modeling? Well, I think that's uh, really the um, the crucial question. And a lot of carriers are correlating and associating cyber coverage and the cyber exposure very much so with catastrophe and catastrophe product, uh, pro- uh, property um, exposures of the past, which, to your prior point, is a line of business that carriers have hundreds of years of historical data on to help adequately model for. Mm-hmm. The issue with cyber is it's very, very new. It's in its infancies, and it's evolving every day. So that historical data pool isn't as significant as something like uh, catastrophe property insurance, for example, which can, uh, creates a conundrum for actuarial departments in how to adequately model. That again leeways into the aggregation issue, which is essentially a capacity issue for carriers. How to be able to afford knowing that aggregation if it issue is in play, which is essentially a systematic issue. How to how to how to plan accordingly for that. And what carriers are doing, and I've seen some examples of this, are looking for third-party capital through the capital markets to provide additional capital into the space. So um, like a catastrophe bond offering would be an example of something like this, where you're going to hedge funds and asset managers and pension funds and asking them to provide um, capital in the event of something like a cyber loss Mm -hmm. so that, um, again, you have that additional capital flowing into the space to safeguard against that that, that aggregation element, if you will. So so the carriers basically are are going outside to find – you know, I'll call it additional capacity, which means that they're because they can't model it. They're they're essentially identifying that there is this potential for a much greater loss or exposure than they can even um, contemplate at this point. Which kind of leads me back to, well, how do the insureds identify um, what their potential ex- exposure is when procuring the coverage? So you know. I think you pointed out a great example in your introduction to this topic, and that's the usage, for example, of cloud uh, cloud systems for your data storage, cloud systems for your data storage, whoever that provider of that system is, houses the information of potentially you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of, thousands, of businesses. Yeah. So if they were to be breached, hundreds of thousands of compromising uh, proprietary information of those individuals and businesses are also collectively um, at risk. At risk. And... Uh, 
you know, there have been uh, statistical, um, uh, we'll call it uh, projections of what a loss like that would look like. And Lloyd's, for example, did a projection of what a cloud service breach would look like in a matter of only a few days. And that was something to the tune of north of like $50 billion or so. Yeah. We're talking $50 billion in potential losses in a matter of a few days. So that's yes. just, just kind of gives you more of a, so there's, a clarified there's a, lens of what we're, what there's we're talking about. There's a perfect here. example. Um, I did read that, you know, um, Symantec um, is, is or has provided or come up with um, uh, a framework to, to help both insurers and insureds try to gauge their potential for loss utilizing um, what they call the cube framework. And it, it's comprised of basically six elements, um, which I'm not going to get into, but, um, you know, obviously you, you listeners can look that up. It's cube, C-U-B-E, uh, semantic um, is, is the um, developer of it. But, um, you know, that obviously is helping both insureds and insurers. But again, because this line of business, it's still it's in its infancy stages. Um, even with that framework, it's still very difficult for them to um, forecast or model real potential losses. So, I mean, you throw that number out there, 50-some-odd billion in a few days. Yeah, that's scary, but it could be even more than that, um, especially with cyber being a worldwide, I'll call it epidemic. It, it It's not something that's um, limited to a specific location, i.e. property. One building burns down, you know what the max uh, payout's going to be. Um, you know, certain liability losses, you know, there's actual or actuarial data um, on, on, you know, different types of losses. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality of this is it's still too young to really forecast what the potential is. The other issue to talk about is who is impacted by it, because sometimes there's a naiveness of, um, you know, when we hear in the media, the targets of the world and the target breaches and, uh, Citibank and JP Morgan, yeah. people deem to think that, you know, these big, big, um, we'll call it corporate institutions are the only ones impacted. Yeah. But what they don't take into account is those institutions, um, in the operation of their underlying infrastructural technologies, they outsource that to third party vendors, which are smaller to mid-sized firms. And, in the case of Target, for example, um, it was deemed, and the finger was pointed at one of the smaller vendors that they used, who essentially was responsible for that breach. Yeah, I, I would actually say that I think that in my own um, dealings, you know, risk managers of larger firms, um, larger privately held or publicly traded firms, um, they have more of a keen awareness, and obviously the the dollars to throw at their infrastructure for that matter to um, try to combat this, um, whether it be through risk transfer insurance contracts or just to fight it at the, you know, at the ground level. Um, whereas a small business owner or medium-sized business owner, you know, every dollar that, that goes into their pocket, it, it's harder to to separate with because they're not... Um, they're not as capital flush as... A larger yeah. entity. They just don't have the dollars to throw at it, and it, you know, it, and even beyond that, they just sometimes don't see their vulnerabilities or or how it's beneficial, and, and that doesn't just um, lie with cyber liability. That goes on to other coverages as well, but cyber being a newer one, which quite frankly they're even more adverse to, because um, again, they don't see their exposure. Uh, perfect example is. Um, 
I work with some vending machine operators that use third parties to um, process credit card transactions. And even there, they feel that because the third party is processing the credit card transaction that they do not have an exposure. Well, uh, I'm not going to tell you what is and what is what is and is not covered, but um, I will say that if there is some kind of reading mechanism put on that vending machine that's taking that credit card information um, by a hacker, uh, well, the third party processor wasn't the one that lost that data. So where where's their where where's their exposure exactly in that claim i mean that doesn't sound like the third party processor is going to going to be partaking in it but again it's it's about educating and um you know showing um you know these small business owners and and people that are running these middle medium sized companies you know where their exposures are you you touched on an important point with the contractual structuring uh these larger entities have the ability to fine tune the contracts to um, a vendor in their favor. So yeah. you know, they have more of a downstream effect where the vendor might not be so aware of the exposure that they're essentially bearing in, we'll call it a cyber-related loss uh, type of situation in terms of uh, what they're inheriting. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. They, they have a legal team to to these larger companies to draft uh, these contracts. So, you know, everything, without saying it, it flows downhill, if you know where I'm going. Exactly, exactly. So I guess to kind of sum things up, obviously all size companies, small, medium, large, publicly traded, whatever they may be, have some form of cyber exposure, um, whether they realize it or not. And I think from a agent broker standpoint, um, it's important to, you know, speak to your insurers about it, give them some scenarios, you know, really delve into it. Um, as an insured listening, you may want to inquire with your agent or broker um, into the coverage. What other elements are available to help protect you better? And um, I think with the insureds, agents, brokers working in conjunction with carrier underwriters, you could really develop a good program, even still um, not having all of the um, actuarial statistical data, there still can be some form of program developed that could help um, transfer some of the risk. Uh, Folks, thanks for listening. Um, We'll be getting back to you next week, but we do appreciate the uh, the listening this week. I hope you have a good week. Take care.